Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday, the 19th of October. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by the wonderful Jan Fran. Hello, Tom. I hear you're about to speak to someone who knows Donald Trump very, very well, might be related to him by blood. His niece, Mary. He's freaking out. He is in a position he's never been in in his life. Yeah, so that's Mary Trump. Uh, We're going to find out what she thinks is going through Uncle Donald's mind right now as he continues to deny reality, the reality that he's lost the election. He has lost. He lost decisively. And nothing he can do can change that result. That sounds like it's going to be a fascinating interview with Mary Trump there. That's coming up in just a moment. Before that, let's see what's making news today. South Australia has entered day one of a six-day hard lockdown. It is being billed as one of the toughest lockdowns in the world. Yeah, it kicked in at midnight. Uh, No one can leave their homes unless seeking medical treatment or is an essential worker. All schools will be closed except for children of essential workers. No weddings, no funerals, no outdoor exercise. That's a big one. One member of the household can go out for groceries. Um, This will last for six days and then it's expected there'll be an eight-day period of further, but slightly ease restrictions after that. Yeah, the South Australian Premier, Stephen Marshall, says basically the plan here is to go hard and go early. This is about South Australia pausing so that we stay ahead of the virus. Our concern is that if we don't have this circuit breaker, that we will not stay ahead of this. There is no second chance to stop a second wave. We are at a critical point, but we will get through this. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy, isn't it? Mm, I think it's an attempt to get on top of the cluster that started at the Peppers on Weymouth Hotel. Uh, There are now 35 active cases with two new cases in the last 24 hours. Um, The new daily figure will come out today. But fingers crossed the cluster isn't growing. Yeah, and people seem to be supportive of this given the Melbourne experience where they got onto it way too late and then had to lock down for months. So. A week of hard lockdowns, another week of soft lockdowns, and then hopefully they're back to to the life they've been basically experiencing all year in South Australia, a whole lot of freedom. Yeah, look, I think they are heeding some lessons from Victoria. One lesson they didn't heed, though, was hotel workers working in other Mm. venues. I know there was a worker in the hotel who also worked in a pizza shop. Um, and that was something that we saw contribute significantly to the cluster in, uh, to the outbreak in Victoria, rather. So some lessons learned, other lessons not as much. Well, yeah, they need to pay those workers more so they're not having yeah, to go out and do other jobs. And if they are going to work in pizza shops, maybe ones that aren't as popular. Yesterday on the show, we asked the Trade Minister how he was going to try and save our relationship with China. And the relationship was sounding really rough, even then. at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because... His counterpart in China isn't even taking his calls. Yeah, it's a tough question to ask because in the last 24 hours, the terrible state of that relationship has um, certainly not only been confirmed but deteriorated further. Chinese officials have contacted Australian media organisation with a list of 14 grievances with the Australian government, uh, basically accusing the government of poisoning bilateral relations. Yeah, so at the top of that list is the ban on Huawei from rolling out our 5G network, uh, foreign interference laws calling for an inquiry into the origins of COVID-19, and apparently baseless allegations of Chinese cyber attacks. 
Yeah, this is a pretty unusual step by China to go directly to the Australian media with this list. Um, here's Nine's Jonathan Kersley, who had contact with the Chinese official delivering the documents. The official made it clear relations would improve if Australia abandoned some of these positions. She said, why should China care about Australia? China is angry. If you make China the enemy, China will be the enemy. So pretty interesting this happened on the same day we announced a a new security agreement with Japan, one of their nearest neighbours. Coincidence? Mm. Question mark. And a highly anticipated report into alleged war crimes by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan is set to be released today. Yeah, this is the one that's been four years in the works. It focuses on the actions of a small group of SAS soldiers between 2005 and 2016. Yeah, so Scott Morrison already warned us about this report, said that it would make for very difficult reading. Yeah, look, there's been 55 incidents of alleged unlawful killings that have been examined by this report um, over 12 years of Australian forces in Afghanistan. And more than 330 people have given evidence uh, behind closed doors, both here and in Afghanistan. So it's been a really massive undertaking. And well, we're going to find out more today. Yeah, I think the expectation is that we're going to be a bit ashamed of what some of our soldiers have done. Um, people have been comparing this to the, the Abu Ghraib scandal, which was a, around the treatment of Iraqi prisoners of war by US soldiers. So, yeah, we're waiting for that one to come out today. So last night there was a stadium full of people watching the Origin Decider. Uh, congratulations to Queensland. Mm. Uh, but you're not happy about that, clearly? Nah, I don't like losing. Oh, well, you did. <laughs> Queensland won 2014. Um, look, a nail-biter, but apparently depressing for you, Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was great to see a stadium full of people. Mm. Um, you know, hopefully there's no COVID infections as a result of that. And so it begs the question... What else could we fill stadiums for? Well... Live music, perhaps? Indeed, there are plans to fill stadiums with live music again. Hooray! Guess who's coming out in 2021 to fill a stadium with live music and with people? Oasis? No, no, not not too dissimilar, I guess. Guns and Roses. (laughs) Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Uh, Yeah, they've announced a 2021 tour today, which is officially the first stadium tour announced since COVID. That's huge. Aren't they so old they'd be in like a vulnerable group for COVID? (laughs) Yeah. Look, I don't know how old they are, but but they they probably will have to take care coming here, won't they? I'm about to interview Mary Trump and we've got some more news from her uncle Donald overnight. President Trump, that's what he still is, hasn't accepted the, the reality that he's lost, but he has gotten on with his... His favourite pastime, which is firing people, he fired his top election official, Christopher Krebs, yesterday via Twitter. Yeah, he was the head of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Basically, he was um, in charge of improving election security and also dispelling disinformation about the integrity of the voting process. So he's now gone. Yeah, obviously that... uh Voting process is something Donald Trump has pretty strong views on. And no doubt his niece has some pretty strong views on as well. Yeah, marry Trump in just a moment. See you later, Jan. Now it's finally time for the Mary Trump interview. It is now more than two weeks since Donald Trump lost the US presidential election uh, and he still hasn't admitted that he lost, at least not publicly true to the whole time that he's been in the Oval Office, he's chosen the most unconventional and dramatic reaction to the situation he's in. So to understand more about the man, his mind, and what he might do next, 
We have Mary Trump with us on the briefing. Her dad was Donald Trump's older brother. And in the lead up to the election, she published a book called Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. Mary Trump, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Mary, as you know, Donald Trump still won't admit that he's lost the election. But apart from some tweets, he hasn't done much media. He's been quite quiet by his standards. What do you think is going on in his head right now? Uh, he's freaking out. He is in a position he's never been in in his life. He has lost. He lost decisively. And nothing he can do can change that result. You know, nobody's bailing him out of this. The courts aren't going to do it. Recount isn't going to do it. The Republican Party can't do it. And to make it worse, although he lost decisively, the Republican Party fared pretty well in this election. They actually beat expectations. So Donald can't even blame his loss on them, which is why he's reduced to these ridiculous claims of voter fraud and rigging and all of that sort of thing. He's desperate. He understands also, or he should anyway, that as soon as he no longer has the protection of the Oval Office, he's going to be subject to lawsuits. He's going to be subject potentially to prosecution for various financial crimes for which he cannot be pardoned. Um, he has over a billion dollars in debt that banks may be much more inclined to call um, because he is no longer in a position to do people favors. He's not just desperate, he's also terrified, I imagine. Mary, so do you think he'll bat the, the election loss away and, and any other problems that arise from it? Or do you think this could be the downfall of Donald Trump? I, I think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for him to bounce back from this, most primarily because the worst thing that you could be in my family, I mean, certainly according to my grandfather, whose opinion was the only one that mattered, was a loser. So this is a narcissistic injury, the likes of which Donald has never experienced. He's not going to, as I said earlier, change the results. There is an enormous amount of uncertainty ahead of him. And there are people who are his allies right now simply because of the power he currently holds. And that may change significantly uh, after he no longer is in power. I'm including his children in that as well. So he may find himself in a position where he does not have the support that he's been able to rely on in the past. Well, it seemed that even Rupert Murdoch turned on him during the election. Fox News and the New York Post um, called out some of his misinformation around the, the polling day and the results as they came out. How will that be affecting him? I think it's having a huge impact on him because it, it it's it's a chink in the armor and it's going to make him realize that he cannot count on things continuing uh, in terms of support in perpetuity no matter what he does, which has always been the case in the past. It has never mattered what he did. He's always had somebody to bail him out or use their connections or power to uh, elevate Donald in some way. So the fact that that Fox News, which has been an extraordinarily reliable partner for him, is kind of backing off is not a good sign for him because there really isn't any other entity with the same level of power and influence to replace Fox. So how do you see the next 
weeks and months panning out. I mean, looking even further ahead, there's talk of him running again in 2024. There's been talk of him starting his own TV network. Where do you see things going from this very strange point forward? You know, I'm most immediately worried about the next two months until the inauguration because the amount of damage Donald is doing is great and the amount of damage he can do further is incalculable in terms of our national security in terms of um, the legit people's faith in the legitimacy of our elections going forward, in terms of the legitimacy of the incoming administration. So, you know, that we need to get through that first, but hopefully we do. It's going to depend in large part, as I said earlier, on what kinds of things he's facing from a legal standpoint. I think he's much more likely to go the media route than the running again route for a couple of reasons. If he um, were to run again, that would mean for four years he's out of power and he's sort of playing a secondary supporting role, which would not be easy for him if it if it's even possible for him to do. Also, he's not a very healthy person. He has a terrible diet. He doesn't exercise and he has undiagnosed and untreated mental illnesses that are only going to deteriorate over time. So I think um, trying to ha- have a role in the media gives him the constant adulation, adulation. It keeps the spotlight trained on him. I just think that, and also financially, that's a better way to go than running for office. Uh, so I think that's what we're going to see. But again, complicated by whatever is going to happen Uh, in New York State in terms of uh, the charges of uh, financial crimes. And so what does this whole narrative mean for you? We're at an incredibly dramatic part of the Donald Trump story right now. You held off speaking out in the lead up to the 2016 election. You wrote this book uh, in the lead up to the most recent election. You write about a lot of pain that you suffered at the hands of Fred Trump Sr. and Donald Trump, um, including a protracted legal battle over your grandfather's will. How do you feel about what's happened personally? It's been a really awful four years, honestly. Uh, I knew that Donald was going to be disastrous in this position, but I did not realize the extent to which he was going to be enabled by the entirety of the Republican Party. So he's been allowed to do a lot more damage than he might have otherwise. You know, his, his candidacy... And his four years in the White House have exposed a lot of um, deficiencies in our system, weaknesses in our system, and also, um, you know, the divisions he stoked uh, among us will take years to heal if they can be healed at all. So, uh, you know, as an American, uh, it's been a quite uh, devastating experience The fact that Joe Biden was elected does give us hope. I think we've been pulled back from the brink. But, you know, we need to be really clear eyed about what's going what happens going forward. We have a lot of work to do. And, uh, you know, it's not just this country that is going to be affected. It's the rest of the world as well. Yeah, the picture you paint is, you know, to put it frankly, very unflattering. Um, But 73 million Americans voted for him this month. Why do you think he he holds so much appeal to so many Americans? Yeah, that is a heartbreaking number, isn't it? Um, 
I have to be honest with you. Uh, it I can't be objective about this. No, I imagine. It, it is impossible for me to understand why anybody sees anything to admire in this person. Um, I've tried really hard uh, for the sake of, you know, fairness to try to think of something. And there's not one redeeming characteristic he has. So I think for some people, it's just, you know what, they're Republicans, they're going to vote Republican. That's just the way it is. But beyond that, um, you know, he has given people in this country permission to be very boldly racist, to be boldly misogynistic. And I think that's that appeals to them. We also, you know, as in any other society, we have our fair share of people who have authoritarian personalities. And those are the weak people who follow the leader who is the strong man. Um, I just didn't realize how many of them there were. So it's pretty depressing, honestly. Do you want to see him go down? Would you like to see him broken by this loss? Would you like to see him in, in jail as a result of the legal problems he might face, as you've mentioned? I want to see him held accountable. Um, America has done a terrible job of holding corrupt leaders accountable in the past. And I think that's one of the reasons that uh, Donald was able to achieve what he's achieved. So I don't, I don't see how we can ever repair the damage unless he and everybody who's been complicit in his, uh, in, in the harm he's done to our country uh, is held accountable. That was Mary Trump, Donald Trump's niece. Uh, fascinating insights there. And it's all in her book, Too Much and Never Enough. Um, if you found what she said there really interesting, we actually went way deeper than what you just heard. Uh, that was actually all we had time for in today's episode of The Briefing. But we're going to give you a special weekend episode of the whole 30 minutes of my conversation with Mary Trump, where I ask her all about the Trump family story and about her own personal interactions with Donald Trump when she was just a child. Here's some of what you'll hear. So I was a little kid. I was the only girl. And Donald would, uh, whenever he played with us, we played we played uh, catch with a hardball, a baseball. You know, he never pulled any punches. He would throw that ball as hard as he possibly could at me. <laughs> and if I caught it, great. If I didn't, you know... <laughs> Luckily, I'd never broke my nose or anything, but hmm. he just could never like he couldn't even moderate his behavior around little kids. Like he always had to be the best, the guy who won, the guy who threw the ball the hardest. So I can't say we were close exactly, but, you know, we got along fine. And it wasn't until I was uh, in my 20s and he hired me to write his third book that I actually got to spend time with him consistently. I had a desk in his office and. I would uh, stop in to see him every day and we would chat. You know, we always got along. Um, but as you s suggested, you don't really get close with him mm. because he's exactly the same person in all situations. Like he has no private self. So that's some of my conversation with Mary Trump. You'll hear all of that in a special episode that'll be in your podcast feed when you wake up on Saturday morning. 
Happy weekend to you when you get to listen to that. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, Make sure you subscribe so you get all of our apps, especially when we do those special ones like we will this weekend. And if you're enjoying the briefing, please tell your friends about it and I'll catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.